0: Get your quote today at progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law.
1: This is the Skate Podcast. Talking Bruins hockey with WEEI Bruins writers Scott McLaughlin, Bridget Prue, and Brian DeFelice. Lace them up for some beast talk. It's Odyssey's The Skate Pod on WEEI. Woo!
2: Welcome into episode 244 of the Skate Podcast. I'm Brian Felice, joined by Bridget Pru and Scott McLaughlin. The Bruins defeated the Montreal Canadiens 5-2 on Saturday night at the TD Garden. Bridget and Scott, let's get right into our opening shifts.
1: Well, obviously, the, the, the big story of the weekend for the Bruins was not a positive one. Uh, late Friday night, early Saturday morning, Milan Lucic was arrested um, following a domestic incident at his home in Boston Uh, Bruins announced he's taking an indefinite leave of absence. Uh, The, the latest news on Sunday, and this is via the Boston globe is that Lucic is due in court Monday or Tuesday um, to face a charge of assault and battery on a family or household member. So obviously just a really bad situation. Um, One that, you know, at this point the Bruins in terms of like coaches and players have no control over. It. And I've said they did a good job finding a way to compartmentalize and go out and play a game and beat the Canadians. And really, you know, as we're going to get into play one of their best games of the season. Um, but obviously a lot of stuff still to come in terms of what this means for Lucic, what it means for the Bruins, you know, if he's gonna come back at all, um, you know, just obviously, just not enough information known right now. Um, you know, as as the Bruins have said, as a lot of people said, like your first thoughts are obviously just for the well-being of, of his wife and children, and um, you know, and then go from there. Um, but yeah, that's kind of where things stand right now. Is the the Bruins obviously have a situation they um no one, no one, you know, ever wants to deal with or, or have to confront, but it's there. And, uh you know, it, it obviously is going to have a, a pretty significant effect on Milan Lucic's future, I think.
3: Yeah. I mean, think about last week he was on the broadcast for Nesson and everyone was like, Oh, he'd be a great commentator. And it's like, it's not just affecting his time in Boston as a, ruin like uh, on the ice like think about you know maybe that could be gone for him as well maybe a potential like career um in broadcasting or anything like that all of it all of it's affected um by the situation and uh, it's it, it's we're only a few days out from it like when we're recording this on sunday we don't have still don't have a lot of information so um but it kind of seemed clear from the the first um report of this that there's a chance he's not back in Boston at all, Um, the indefinite leave. um, And also if the team decides that they're like, that's a character move that they just don't want to, you know, keep around someone that did that, that, you know, that could happen as well. So um, yeah, I I guess I'll get into mine as well. Um, My opening shift is Trent Frederick had himself a really good game a two goal night for him. He uh, he was looking for the hat trick, or maybe a Gordie Howe hat trick, because he was looking for a fight as well at some point in there. Um, but his two goals came. Uh, he he deflected one in. He I mean he had he was where he needed to be on the ice uh, both offensively and defensively. And something coach mentioned after the game was uh, Frederick is somebody that's underrated. He thinks because he plays such good defense um, and you see you you know when he's going like he's and he's getting to the net he can be a force and and he thinks that there's teams that kind of look look past him and and don't give him enough credit but he had a really good game looked very confident out there playing in front of his father uh, as all the all the dads were there
2: yeah he had a great game obviously yeah for sure and uh for me, I guess my question in in, in my opening lead is, um, obviously, Matt Potra has gone a little bit dry in the in the production department after his strong preseason and even his you know strong first six seven games of the year. Uh, he's around eight points in sixteen games played now, I believe is I believe is what it is. And I guess my question for you guys is, obviously, it's okay. Like he's nineteen years old, he's still getting his feet wet in the NHL. Um, not a huge deal. What I would ask you guys is, uh, have we have we expected a little bit too much of him offensively uh, based on his preseason and the start to the season? Is, are the expectations where they set a little bit too high?
1: I don't think for so. For right now. Yeah, I don't think so because, honestly, like there were no expectations. The expectation was he was going to play another year in juniors. So I've kind of felt all along, it's almost like, whatever you get is is gravy. And obviously at some point that shifts because he becomes a, an everyday player in your lineup. And then certain expectations come along with being an everyday top nine center, which is what he is. Um, you know, I think fortunately for the Bruins, Zaka and Coyle have really picked up their production and are producing like top two centers. So Patra can... Just be your third line center, um, yeah. I mean, I think it's like one point in his last four or five games. But I thought that line was great on on Saturday night. Him, Heinen, and DeBrusque. I thought we're all over Montreal like every shift, and um, you know they they didn't score, but shot attempts when they were on the ice were seventeen to four Bruins. Uh, shots on goal were nine to two. Like it was, it was pretty dominant. I thought they were doing a lot of good things. So I sort of feel, you know, I'm gonna sound like a broken record because, like, I said this about DeBrusque, but I do believe that if you play the right way and do the right things and create chances, eventually you get rewarded in, in the points column. And that's kind of how I feel watching that line Saturday night. Is if they play like that, there aren't going to be. Many games that they're held off the score sheet, so um, yes, you need to see a little more offensive production at some point, um, goals, assist points. But uh, if they were playing poorly, I'd be more concerned,
3: yeah. Um, on Patra, I mean, in the beginning parts of the season, he had that two goal game in Anaheim, and everybody was like. Okay, wow. Um, if he can do this, then then he's gonna way, way outdo expectations of, of a 19-year-old kid that's coming in to take a, a center role um when they didn't even know he was gonna be ready um this earlier in his career. So he had a stretch there. We had like three goals in two games, uh, I think in, in uh, mid-October. And he hasn't scored in the last five games. He went from at one point in the season being like their their second or a third highest goal scorer to now he's seventh. So he's dropped down the list a little bit, as you mentioned, like Trent Frederick passed him, Charlie Coyle passed him. Um, there's there's a few other Bruins that have started to produce and like Pablo Zaka, like you mentioned, that have gone ahead of him in those categories. But um, I, and I do feel like we saw some flashes of him in those games where he was scoring or when he was more involved offensively that like, I don't think that, that has gone away in his game. Like it's still, it, there's still potential for that to be there. But I think that for whatever reason, the the way that he's been playing with certain, next to certain players hasn't looked as good as with others. And when he had him playing next to Pasternak, it looked good. Um, but you you probably don't have the luxury. Every I mean, everybody wants to play next to Pasternak. You can't play every single player next to Pasternak. <laughs> so like when it was Zaka, Patra Pasternak, sure, that looked great but you, there's not it's not feasible to do that um if you cuz you need to use Zach as a center so um he's he like you mentioned before he should be able to to play with Jake DeBrusk and have that get going but both of those guys haven't found as much offense really recently as some people would have liked we had a whole discussion about Jake DeBrusque the other day um whether or not the numbers were what was the word um unacceptable uh and whether his play has been unacceptable which by the way coach brought up again uh after the game against Montreal He thought that was Jake the Russ best game and um he didn't score he had an assist um on I believe the second Frederick goal and you know proof that he's playing and the team sees him and the effort he's putting in even though he's not producing goal-wise like he still brings a lot to the team. So I know kind of switched from Patra to DeBresque there, but I guess they kind of fall in a similar category where numbers wise, right now they're not as high as other people, but you still see them getting involved in different ways.
2: Yeah. And they do kind of coincide right now because in their last 10 games combined between the two of them, they have two points combined between the two of them, two assists in 10 games. So, and a lot of that time has come together five on five. So I guess the good news is the team is still winning. And I guess the good news is like everybody keeps saying, all right, if you're not producing, at least what else are you doing to help the team? And that's great. Um, But people are saying if, if DeBrusque is slumping, at least he's helping in other ways. That's great. But a slump kind of indicates that, you were once scoring prior for it to be a slump. He's kind of just been slumping out of the gate this year uh, off, at least production wise. Uh, and, and, and Patra has, has slowed down. Patra has gone into a bit of a slump. So I guess my question is, Scott, you say that they played well together yesterday and they did. Um, but the, they're not scoring as a, as a, as a, uh, as a combination. If you look at like what, like what I just said, the last 10 games combined two points between the two of them. So do you try to do you do you try to switch something up combination wise keep that Frederick Coyle and Van Reem's like line but do you try to shake something else up or, to get them going or do you give them just more time to just cuz the team's winning right so there's there's no harm in I guess letting them continue to run and try to build something
1: Yeah I would just keep giving them opportunities because not only are the Bruins winning but they're playing their best offensive hockey of the season over i'd say the last week and a half maybe two weeks they've scored five or more they've scored five goals in three of their last four four games now um you know early on this season we didn't think there would be many games like this where they scored more than three and now you know admittedly against some teams that aren't great defensively but still like they they played teams that weren't great defensively earlier in the season and they weren't consistently scoring five goals. So, you know, Jim Montgomery has talked about how he's, he's happy with them getting out of their zone quicker, getting through the neutral zone quicker, holding onto pucks longer in the offensive zone, um, defensemen having more of a shot mentality. So all of that is happening. And I think you're seeing the top two lines produce. You've seen the fourth line chip in with a couple goals. And for me, I, I've seen enough encouraging signs um from that Patrik heinen line that with everything else going well, I would let them play through it and see if it starts to click in terms of goals, see if Debrus gets a couple. Like you have an incredible luxury right now where so much else is go- is going right on the ice at least that you know, I don't think you have to break that up just to try to get one or both of those guys going. I think you can try to let them work through it together.
3: In that time frame, too, when they first put Heinen on that line, once Geeky got hurt, um, I think Heinen's played well too. Like it's like you see some individual efforts from each of the guys that you're like, okay, well, this is, they're doing the right thing. This should lead to something. This, and yeah we've gone over it with DeBrusque and now Patra, but also with Heinen, like he has had some games where he's doing a lot of things right. And, and getting involved And um, he's kind of been a, a, a good playmaker. Like we've seen him be able to move pucks and, and win battles. And, um, yeah, so that line in theory has these pieces that should come together and work. It hasn't yet. So I guess what Scott's saying is don't, don't broke, don't fix what isn't broken with the other few lines by just deciding to blow this one up um, at this point. I'm I think that's what you meant, Scott, right?
1: Yeah. And also worth noting in this, I know we started on Padra, but obviously Debrusque is part of this as well. debrus did have a point Saturday night made, you know, did a good job getting the puck out towards the end of a, a penalty kill that ends up leading to it chance for Trent Frederick right out of the box and that's his second goal so um you know at least the did get get a point there
2: yeah and he to, to segue I- yeah sorry bridge I was, gonna, I was just gonna say to segue into your opening shift with Frederick but uh, did you have anything else on DeBrusque there
3: I uh, know I was actually going to transition as well
2: yeah, no, I just um, I really like that burst of speed uh, and that finish that that Frederick displayed on that goal. Um, you know, it's 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 moments like that where you think to yourself, maybe he, maybe Frederick in his in his in his prime, which what's he twenty six? So over the next couple of years, like if he could really polish his game, could he become? Could he become? Does he has? Does he have the ceiling of a of a of a second line winger you think in this league if he would have really polished that power forward game with some consistency or do we think he's kind of maybe capped a third line role and just you guys as Bridget you're you know to expand on your opening shift just your thoughts on him
3: yeah well yeah the keyword there being like uh power like power forward like how what's his ceiling as a power forward because you see him make those strong moves to the net um and he's he's got enough size and puck protection that he should be able to Move around his defenders um, when he's on his game. He and he does. Um, I don't know about the ceiling for him. Uh, we've seen. I, I think for him, it's it's not necessarily about like is he a top six uh, winger. I think it all depends on who you put him with. So it's like if he meshes best with in your top six, like with that center, then yes, he's like he's in your top six. But he's he's a very complimentary player to someone like Charlie Coyle. Um, whereas, you know, I'm not sure what that would look like next to a different center. Uh, we've seen how successful it is with the right person. So, um, I guess that's kind of like a non-answer Brian to your question, but in his career, it, it, you know, we've seen him play best when he has that chemistry already built in he feels more confident. You could see his confidence in the game against Montreal. So I think that that's, that's the best answer I can give right now.
1: Yeah. I mean technically he's playing a top six role now. And that line is at the moment producing like a second line. Um, You know, personally, do I see him being like a bona fide second line winger? Probably not. I've never quite felt like that's his potential. Like I, I think, I think he can be a really good third line winger or a second line winger in a situation where like, the other two spots on the line I kind of loaded up and, you know, and he can be the, the complementary piece who gets open in the slot and, and pots a few goals. Um, but that said, you know, as I started with like that line is the Bruins second line right now. I know we we've said in the past, like, or I've said like that line and the potter line, just called them the middle six. Like it doesn't really matter which one's listed second or third. But right now, one of them is producing like a top six line and and one's not. And it's the jvr Coil frederick line that's producing and has been really good for the Bruins. I mean, Coyle's 14 points in 16 games, JVR 12 and 16, Frederick up to five goals now. That's, you know, tied for fourth on the team. So actually all three of those guys have five goals. So um, it's, it's working right now, you know, do, do I think Trent Frederick produces like a second liner all year or in future years? I don't know. I'll, I'll have to see it. I'd, you know, love to be pleasantly surprised though.
3: And it's something else that I, I want to add to what I was saying was playing with James Van Riemsdyk, like we've seen how Frederick has grown playing with Charlie Coyle, right? And kind of taking some of Charlie's game and being able to learn from him. Putting him with James Van Riemsdyk, who is a really strong forward, who is really good in front of the net are also some certain like certain skill sets he could learn from van reemsdyke and make himself a better forward. So like he's at, on this line, he's surrounded by two guys that he could learn a lot from and take different parts of their game and do them well, because we've seen him net front. We've seen him like he did have a goal tipping in a puck um, against Montreal. He, he can be a pass in front of the net. So maybe he learns a little bit of, of, nuances that he didn't know before from Van Riemsdijk about, like, screening or, or like, net front, uh, you know, I, I just feel like there's there's some potential to grow for him there with a new teammate to learn things from on that line.
0: Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road.
2: uh from what we from what we've gathered and um obviously the office situation is you know obviously unacceptable but as it pertains to the on um opportunity right opportunity for somebody new to 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 get a chance on that fourth line or to continue to get a look on that fourth line cuz you know if you're lucci you come you 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 him in, in Boston um for the 100th season plays four games gets hurt not of the lineup sense now the office issue seems like he's going to be most likely uh, not playing another game in a Bruins uniform. Um, so for Lucic, not the homecoming he was looking for, for somebody like Oscar Steen, continued opportunity. Um, so just elaborate and expand on the opportunity that Lucic's absence now and going forward probably presents for for somebody else in that fourth line. And, you know, we talked about in the beginning of the year, we we kind of like that Lucic loco Johnny Beecher. Uh, makeup seems like that's no longer going to be an option. So where do the Bruins go from here?
1: Yeah, well, you know, and I do think part of what allowed the Bruins to just keep doing that thing on the ice Saturday night is that they've already been playing without Liu He's, as as you said, he got injured the fourth game of the year and hasn't played since, and that was nearly a month ago. They're, they've already gone 9-1-3 and without him. Um, Oscar Steen has stepped up on that fourth line And, you know We talked about, like, do you do you Keep him past the ten games, worry about the Waiver situation That conversation's over, like, obviously he's Sticking around um, Danton Heinen has gotten Better and better since, you know, first Signing um, He can fit anywhere in the bottom six And Jacob goes Back from his, his injury, I thought Saturday night was his best game yet, I thought he was really active. Had a couple good chances. He just couldn't finish off. Throw a couple good hits. Um, Morgan Geeky was on the ice in a red no contact jersey at Sunday's practice. That was the first time he's been back out on the ice with the team. No, no timetable yet. Montgomery said, "You know, he's just starting the build up process. So they're not they're not going to set a date for him just yet. But usually, kind of once you're back on the ice, it's you're probably a week or two away. So if I had to ballpark it, I'd say, you know, looking towards maybe next week for Geeky to be back. So yeah, suddenly like that, that brings you, and Patrick Brown's still around, even though he, they put him on waivers. He cleared waivers. They haven't sent him down to Providence. He's still in Boston. Um, You know, when Geeky comes back, that's 14 forwards. My guess is, round probably goes down to providence and you've you've still got a pretty deep group and you've got a fourth line that's been effective with lauko beecher steen i think yeah, you know i think there's still some work for that line to do it's not perfect yet that's three younger players who i think have to learn you know part of being a fourth line part of the way that they want to use beecher is he's going to be out there and you know one goal games protecting leads he's going to be getting defensive zone draws. He's going to get some shifts against, you know, top two lines on, on opposing teams. As a whole, that line's going to have to kind of learn how to handle that um, because just because they haven't been through it yet. They're, like I said, they're three, three young players. Um, but, yeah, I think, I think on the ice, I think they can overcome this. It's more on you know, just the, the human being side of it off the ice of, you know, you think of guys like Marshan and Pasternak, who, have, who had have been friends, have been friends with Lucic for a long time. Other guys, you know, those younger guys I just mentioned on the fourth line who were looking up to Lucic as like the leader of that group early in the season. He was the one kind of leading the way. Like, like we saw Felino do the, you know, the last couple years, like, that's gone now, so you don't have that security blanket. You don't have that veteran on your line to bounce ideas off. So, um, you know, this isn't going away, obviously. The, you know, I just mentioned, like, luchi just doing court Monday or Tuesday. There's going to be more to come out of this, and, and we'll see, you know, the the Bruins can obviously act on their own at some point if they want when it comes to his roster status. I would expect the NHL, if they're not already, will be involved to some extent. Um, you know, the the league can and should be involved when it comes to something like domestic violence. So um, yeah, lot lots of questions still to answer, but on the ice, if, if the Bruins can stay focused, I think, I certainly think they have the guys to, to overcome it.
3: Yeah. And, you know, first thing that comes to mind too, just uh, in terms of like personnel, not, not having anything to do with, you know, the, the situation, just like in terms of what Lucci brought when, when he was on that fourth line, he was the, the most physical guy in that line. Um, he was the guy that if you, and we had talked about this actually Maybe if he was going to be back in time for that Toronto game, he might have to fight somebody like Ryan Reeves. Like you, he is, was maybe your only guy on the roster that you would be able to throw out there against, you know, the tough, the, the higher end tough guys in the NHL like Reeves, and uh, that won't completely get their ass handed to them. Um, so you lose him for what we thought would, probably be an important role for him if he were to um, get back into the lineup for that matchup against Toronto. And just in general, in the offseason, one of the the main points of emphasis that the organization tried to get out there was this year, we want to be more physical. And bringing back Milan Lucic was part of that. We want to be a tougher team. We want to be a little bit more big, bad Bruins-like. And that is this is their biggest piece in terms of that kind of mentality. Not that other guys aren't physical, but it's just different. Um, this was the old school definition of your, your classic tough guy. Um, and for him to not be available is it, the Bruins lose that element. Um, we don't know how long he's going to be gone or if he's ever going to be back, but you're losing that element indefinitely at this point.
2: Yeah. And I think to your point, Bridget, like that, again, you have to compartmentalize, right? Because what happened off the ice is an off ice issue. And that's, you know none of us obviously condone what he did and that's it's terrible or from what we again from the information that's out there and, and we don't know the story but as it pertains to on the ice my mind does go to that toronto game right i feel like Toronto's going to want a score to settle um on that Marshan thing and so now it's like okay does trent frederick have to step up to your point and and take on ryan reeves because there's really you know despite dan heinen's efforts to to fight um <laughs> who wasn't after the hit on Patra against Montreal. Um, you know, it, it, you, you're, you're right. Like, somebody's, if somebody has to step up now against the true heavyweight, it, it would probably have to be Frederick, because even last year you had Felino, right? Nick Felino could go out there and and step up if he needed to. Um, now it's just Frederick. Uh, Lucic was the guy to kind of play that role if need be. And now it's looking like that that is no longer an option. So, yeah, it does kind of affect um, the on-ice uh, product going forward for in, in those key moments and, again, in, in playoffs too, like you mentioned.
3: And and also, like, we're talking about how we, we think Frederick could be more of an offensive role. Like, we're talking about him being a power forward. We're not talking about him being an enforcer. Like, his role as of right now on the team is best served not with those kind of antics, um, though we know, like, internally he has that kind of personality. It shouldn't be his job. Um, he should be, you know, maybe agitating here and there and, and um, you know, doing a little bit of, of those things uh, when it's necessary. But you also want to free him up to actually be an, an offensive threat as well. And you don't usually have a top six guy stepping up to fight Ryan Reeves. And uh, it it just makes it it, it makes the team less, Tough, and I want to also qualify that that's also what makes this so scary, um, the domestic violence situation, because when you have, like, he is clearly a very strong person who um, I would not want to have anything physical happen with somebody like that. So it's what it, it makes him, it made him an asset to the Bruins, but also makes the situation even scarier because we know he's so strong and this is what he does for work.
1: Yeah. And, and, you know, as far as the, like the physical element, one thing I would point out is we came on here after last Saturday's game in Montreal, thought the Bruins got pushed around a little bit and didn't have, you know, a great response. We wondered at that point, if, you know, it could Lucic be back a week later in Boston. Um, He wasn't going to be anyways, because he had a setback with his injury. Yeah. but the Bruins did respond physically. Like, I thought they were the much more physical team Saturday night. Um, and you know, in addition to everything else, they were just the better team by by a lot. But you know, you saw some guys throwing their body around McAvoy had a couple big hits. Uh, Lauko, I already mentioned Johnny Beecher had five hits in like the first period and a half. Um, you know, so I, I did think guys stepped up that way and as far as fighting look it's not a huge part of the game anyways we're talking about Ryan Reeves Ryan Reeves just got healthy scratched on sunday like he might not even play so he's he's been awful for toronto another signing that straight up has not worked out for them so um you know it might it might not be as big of an issue as 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 some people you know might think it is or, or wonder about because do you even think if, even though, if Reeves plays, like he's out there four to five minutes, and if, if all he wants to do is fight, then I don't know, skate right around him and go get a scoring chance. Like
3: do you do you think though this affects the playoffs? Like the, the way that you want to play in the playoffs, um, especially last year, like I think the idea to add toughness had to do with a, a, a trying to prepare for a longer playoff run. Um, so I don't I don't know if you guys think that really like the longer term way that he would have been used in the playoffs potentially is, is kind of lost.
2: I I feel like, and I could be wrong, but I feel like Lucic's presence was never going to make or break the Bruins, you know, chances at success in the playoffs. But I, but I do think, I do think that um, there's a tone that can be set when you have that, like, for example, let's just say hypothetically the Bruins got into another playoff series this year against Florida like is Lomberg is Nick Cousins is Sam Bennett is certainly Matthew Kachuk right are those players still doing the antics that they did last year if they have to answer to Lucic I think the answer is yes but the difference is okay but now you're going to answer to Lucic right so like like I think, Luke would go and grab Kuchuk by the collar, and and you know, and so in those situations, I just think it's good to have that muscle when push comes to shove in that time of year. But um, it's not the end all, be all. And again, we have to see what happens, how this plays out. But it seems like uh, it seems like the Bruins would be without that presence, so they'll have they'll have to create that nastiness in their game with who they have now going forward and and whatnot. But I do think that look, I think that's why the Bruins went out and got him. To your point, like like they got pushed around when it mattered most last year, Kachuk had his way, um, and and there's 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 a, there's a handful of guys in the NHL now that if they're on your team, you're gonna think twice. He was one of them. He was one of them. You know, so it looks like they might not be with him anymore. But we'll see how it plays out. Scott Scott, do you echo that? How do you feel about that playoff tone setting and having a presence like that?
1: Yeah, I I kind of feel like there's there's so much time between now and then that if you're the Bruins, there's, there's time to figure out your identity and figure out who's physical in what way, what line has an identity. Like you can work through that. And if come trade deadline, you know, let's say Lucci just gone and out of the picture at that point. If you feel like you need to go get someone who brings back some of that toughness, you can. And honestly like that's probably going to be pretty cheap like those those guys don't got a trade deadline time so um you know i would also note that even if lucid were here there's no guarantee he would have even been playing come playoffs like it's possible other guys would have passed him we know he's you know he's not what he was since his first time around in boston he's become a fairly limited player as he's gotten older into his mid 30s um you know, the, the Bruins had A.J. Greer last year. They didn't put him out there to send some sort of message. They left him on the bench because he wasn't one of their 12 best forwards. So, um, you know, that that could have been the case anyways. Like, it's it's entirely possible that Lucic would not have been one of their 12 best forwards come April and might not have even been in the lineup to settle any scores or force someone to answer to anything.
3: It's kind of funny you bring up A.J. Greer, though, because, like it- – not knowing that Lucic was going to first of all get hurt so early in the season. And also, you know, with this situation now, indefinitely, AJ Greer is someone that they, they could have used. Um, They maybe would have not waived. Um, We know he got picked up and, you know, he's out no longer with the team after getting waived after training camp, but he is a guy that when you think of, okay, who can come up? Like he was, he was a guy that, stepped up for them last year he played fourth line minutes he um you know carved out his spot on that line for different chunks of the season and he's definitely a different style player than oscar steen um so maybe having him around would have relieved a little bit of what we're talking about but at the same time i think i agree with scott in this way like fourth line the way it is right now is not a bad line it lacks that extra grit, but it's still, it's still, I like Steve and I I like Laco and I like Beecher. So um, yeah, trying to find a, another fit for a spot in the lineup for a tough guy is it have have to be the right guy. I almost feel like it would be maybe going out of the way to, to do something. Maybe that's to Scott's point may or may not be a hundred percent necessary, but we know how the playoffs are so and we've seen teams that are physical be able to have those kind of intangibles and and success so
2: Uh, and I also think that toughness can be acquired not, not through fisticuffs, right? So, like, I'm gonna I'm gonna throw out a name, and and this just popped into my head just because of the conversation we're having. And uh, Nikita Zadoroff is a guy out in Calgary that's requested a trade. Um, I, I got to be honest, because it just popped into my head, I don't even know what his contract looks like. I don't even know if the Bruins would ever even have an opportunity to fit him, or if you'd want to. But like, you know, it, like somebody like that you know, what, what is he, 6'6", six, six, 250? Like, I mean, you play against him in seven games, you know, a guy who can play regular shifts in the NHL and be an effective player, like, that's toughness, shift in and shift out. Um, I would take over somebody like Lucic, who can at this point in his career only really offer you a fight or, like, a, a, an assist here and there. Um, Have you guys thought about Zadorov as somebody at all since, only because he requested a trade? Have you, has his name crossed your mind about, yeah, maybe the Bruins should look at him if the opportunity presents itself.
1: It's crossed my mind, but I just don't I don't really see a fair. I mean the Bruins are already, you know, once Grizzlick returns, seven deep, eight deep on defense if, you know, depending on how you feel, but Ian Mitchell. Like, yeah, he brings something a little different. Um, you know, right like the Bruins have other guys with size, but he is he does bring a little more nasty. Um I think the, just from like some of the reports and the rumors out there, I think the asking price right now is probably too high. And I think there's a lot of people overrating Nikita Zadorov, who I don't, I don't think is a great player. I think he's tough and, you know, ideally on, on a, on a team that wants to compete for a cup, he's like your sixth defenseman in my mind. I feel like right now the asking price is probably like treating him like a top four defenseman. And that's, just way too much for me, so I would be perfectly fine just standing pad and letting that play itself out. If someone else wants to overpay for him now, great, let them. If he hangs around and you know you can slow play this, and somewhere closer to the deadline, the prices it drops a lot and and he comes cheaper. You know maybe you circle back then, but right now I I certainly don't have a whole lot of interest in Zadorov at like a top four asking price.
3: Yeah, he. It's probably because he had last year. His numbers were better than they've ever been, and that apparently, like, probably still keeps the 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 asking price, the expectation up a little bit. But no, I get why you bring them up, though, Brian, because um, we've and and we've had questions from listeners about you know upgrading on defense or training a defenseman. So if you're making a move for someone like a tops. Uh, a top six winger and you're moving out for in that trade you're moving out a contract of like forward or grizzly maybe you do make a coinciding move like maybe there if there's multiple moves to be made maybe you make a, a coinciding move like that um cap dependent as, as we uh have yeah. mentioned every single other every single other time and um it would seem like you you'd probably need calgary to hold on to a little bit of that contract because it's you know it's million or just about that. So, so yeah.
2: I just, I just think, and there's a lot of logistics that go into it uh, to even make that work. I just, a guy like that, I, I try to pretend, okay, how would I feel if I had to watch the Bruins play against him in a playoff series? How would I feel if I had to watch Marshan or Pasternak or, you know, whomever go into the corners with him for seven games, I'd be like, well, that sucks. Like, like Zadorov could literally put them out of the series at any point, And he's not going to get up muscled in front of the net. And just, I just think that there's, I I think it's, I think he's a, I think he'd be a pretty good guy to have on your team in a playoff series or four. Um, You're not going to get pushed around at all. So um, I don't know. I, again, I wouldn't bring him up if, if he wasn't requesting a trade out of Calgary. And uh, just how you guys would feel. Like to see him on the Bruins, if at all, and it sounds like Scott's not too enamored with them. I I think I I think I'd kind of welcome it if it if it worked out again. Depends what the asking price is and for how much, blah blah blah. But just if we're talking about what he brings to a team, I don't know. Is Matt Rizlick a better hockey player than Nikita Zadorov? Absolutely. He moves the puck better. He's a better skater. All those things. But I don't know. it's, It's always both. Uh, the best players is about the right players. And I think that he'd be a, I would take him on a back end in the playoff run. That's all I'm saying. Um, but maybe, maybe he sits in Calgary and it's just awkward as hell all year. <laughs> that's a pretty, that's a, that's a tough situation, you know?
1: Yeah. I mean, Calgary is going to be a really interesting team to watch just in general, this whole trade deadline season. Cause they have a lot of, they, you know, there were lots of rumors about them over the summer you know, not, none of them really came to fruition. And then I think they sort of thought, you know what, like, we feel like we still have a pretty good team. Let's see how the season goes and revisit and the season isn't going well. And now they have all these pending free agents and, you know, another defenseman that, you know, I know has been linked to the Bruins many times in the past is Noah Hannafin, obviously, um, you know, local kid, BC product. Um who there were reports that like shortly after opening night, he was close to an extension. And then because they were struggling so much, he basically pulled back from the negotiating table. And now it sounds like he's not going to sign an extension. So, um, you know, Elias Lindholm still has not signed. Like it's, if they do end up deciding to sell, like they're going to have some really valuable pieces and, if you're the Bruins and you're your team that looks like they're gonna be, you know, a, a contender and be around it, you're gonna have to explore every possibility. So, you know, all of those guys I just mentioned, like to one extent or another, depending on price, makes sense. So um that's yeah, it's gonna be it's gonna be fascinating. Um, what the flames end up deciding to do.
3: It's been a train wreck over there. The last few seasons with all the players that they've lost and traded and didn't want to play there. And I, it's one of those ones where it's like, you don't know exactly what's going on behind the scenes, but you know, something's going on behind the scenes where there's some sort of management situation. That's just, maybe the culture there isn't so great, but, um, but yeah, that gives the Bruins the opportunity. If Calgary wants to we'll make a deal um at some point, towards the trade deadline for sure. But it, to, to transition back to the Bruins and the Bruins defense, uh big game for Charlie McAvoy. Um, he had a power play goal that he just stepped into. Um, and there was a lot of – I know, Scott, you spoke to him today after Bruins practice, and um, Coach also talked about him and saying he's playing the best hockey that he's seen, um, especially offensively since meeting Charlie McAvoy and coming in and coaching. So I just figured we could bring it back around to the Bruins D that they do have because they have been generating offense. Um, and Charlie McAvoy has been looking confident offensively as well.
1: Yeah. He's currently got a six game point streak, which he's only had two streaks longer than that in his career. Um, he's had a pair of eight game point streaks. Uh, he's Right now he's at a point per game, 12 points in 12 games obviously with a four-game suspension mixed in there. But, like, that's – you know, we talk about, like, all right, last year he had the shoulder surgery, kept him out to start the season, comes back. By his own admission, took a while to really get back up to speed and get to where he wanted to be. So he he was never really in, like, the Norris conversation last year. Point per game, like, that's kind of where you have to be nowadays to – really be a serious Norris candidate and he's there. And if, if people were voting right now, the four game suspension would be held against him. But five months from now, I don't know that a four game suspension in early November is gonna hurt him too much. Um, So like, that's what he's, that's kind of the, the pace he's on right now and what he's setting himself up for. He, like just everything's up the the assists are up goal scoring he's got a couple now you know three on the season he's shooting more um the Bruins are scoring more when he's on the ice which for you know a team that we thought was going to take a step back offensively like I wouldn't have necessarily anticipated that I would have kind of thought you know everyone might take a step back in terms of how much the Bruins are scoring when they're on the ice and it's been the opposite with McAvoy right, right now they're five on five goals when he's on the ice are at a career high for McAvoy. So it's, it's been really impressive. Um, he Montgomery also credited him with kind of Montgomery felt like once the Bruins got up by a couple goals Saturday, he thought Montreal started taking some runs and, and ratcheting up the physicality. And he said, McAvoy was the guy who really answered that. And you know, landed a couple big hits to to sort of respond in real time. Um, and I asked McAvoy about that. And he said, like, his first couple games back, he was like, he was like, I don't think I even hit anyone because I was just worried about getting suspended again. And now Saturday night, you know, I guess the game kinda like forced his hand a little bit and you you saw that come back. And obviously we know that's one of the things he does best. And I I get having like those first game or two back jitters after a suspension, but this is someone who's played a lot of hockey and has landed two suspendable hits in his entire career. Like, I think we know that he is a 99.9% clean hitter. And, you know, it might just take a little while for him to remember that, but you, you saw that on Saturday.
3: Can I, to quote Charlie McAvoy, when Scott asked him this question, Bro, <laughs> he called him Scott bro. He I was like, I was thinking, I was like, I wonder how Scott feels about Charlie McAvoy just looking at him and going, bro. I
1: mean, <laughs> hey, l- listen, BU is a brotherhood, okay? So
3: it's true, it's true. But yeah, he was like, bro, I never want that to happen again. Like, I'm, I'm not trying to get suspended like that again. I think he took it personally in that he, he feels that around the league. Maybe he doesn't want his reputation to change. And that maybe people just see the the four game suspension and don't see the rest of his games. So they're not Bruins fans or from somewhere else. They they might get the idea that and like lump him in with someone like Brad Marchand and and just add to the reputation. So I think he's worried about that. And I think he he's conscious of what he, you know, feeling bad that he had that hit in the first place that was suspendable. So yeah, but also you're his bro. So Said, that's what my main takeaway was.
2: Takeaway was Jim Montgomery wearing all the BU gear. He must have lost a bet, like Scott said on online. Um, he, he did. But, uh, no,
3: he, Ma- <laughs> he did because McAvoy confirmed it.
2: <laughs> yeah. Scott, you want yeah, to elaborate? And, yeah,
3: so
1: uh, Jim Montgomery hit the ice at Sunday's practice wearing a BU hat. Um, and then in his... Uh, post-practice press conference he had both the BU hat and a BU sweater um yeah big weekend for the terriers sweeping main in a in a top 10 showdown so yeah there were there were some in in room bets going on in that and that was what montgomery had to do for losing i don't know what swayman has had to do or will have to do because he had said on on friday when we talked to him that uh there were some friendly wagers between him and and a couple of the BU guys on the team so i don't know what the what exactly the payoff was because he was Swayman was kind of feeling himself and he was like i think charlie mcavoy is going to look really good in a main hat so i don't swayman has got to wear something but uh we we haven't seen it just yet
3: yeah no and uh of I mean, a lot of the guys, they still pay attention and, and go to different um, college hockey games where their former teams are playing. But, yeah, I feel like Swayman talks a lot of crap to the other guys from different teams um, about, you know, Maine because he's he's still – um, very close to to me. I mean, he's not that far removed from playing there. He was the Mike Richter Award winner in I think 2020, so it was not that long ago. Um, but he has a lot of pride for that. And then obviously Montgomery won the national title there. So those are two guys that really hold Maine in in high regard. And then BU was so good this year that I know I know McAvoy made a comment about um, Macklin Celebrini being like he's a, he's like a unique guy like he he was very impressed with Celebrini which I think most people are um but I love when the the, the college and the NHL worlds collide that's like where I live in the middle of <laughs> so whenever they're like they come together I, I get all hyper and, and I start talking about it
1: <laughs> yeah and they, and they were they were all at Friday's game too I know yeah Swayman Montgomery McAvoy Shattenkirk grizzlick like that they were all there. It was also funny when Montgomery was talking about it. He he said Coyle isn't part of the bet because he was only half committed to college. Um because Coyle Coyle left after uh halfway through through the season when he was at B U to go to uh the Quebec major juniors instead.
3: It's not nice. <laughs>
2: um but yeah, just just to just to circle all the way back to, to the McAvoy point. Like I, I I get why he's a little hesitant getting back from suspension, obviously you're kind of paranoid, but honestly, Scott, you mentioned he's played so much hockey and the, the hit on Oliver of Larson was so stupid and he had to go so far out of his way to make such a stupid play. It's not even like an, it's, you know what I mean? It's like, I get why he's like, don't want to get suspended again, but that was just such a uncharacteristic play. Like um, just get back on the, on the bike and, and play hockey like you do. And, just shake that that was just a dumb 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 play so um but yeah he he looked more comfortable and he's getting back in a group of things and yeah i love the, the shot first mentality and the on the on the five on three it's funny um the bruins on instagram they've been doing this thing the last couple of years where like they'll on their story or on their feed they'll they'll post an in-game footage from like the corner the corner dash like and uh, there's, no, there's no commentary. It's just the game. And so on the five-on-three goal, you hear the, you hear the crowd in the background, wicked loud yelling, shoot, come on, shoot. And then McAvoy finally shoots it and everybody goes crazy. It was just like – it was funny because it was from the Bruins' main account, and you just hear the fans heckling the power play on a five-on-three. But, um, yeah. No, That's I'm- what you'll really-
3: hear any game you ever go to is someone screaming shoot, even if the oh, Bruins right. are on the other end of the ice. It's like, no, <laughs> no. Huh. it was funny I that... sat next to a fan who was yelling you're going the wrong way at the Bruins and I'm like I think they know which way they're supposed to be going.
1: <laughs> it was, was funny there Scott was one <laughs> Yeah, yes.
3: <laughs> yeah, that was last week up on my floor. <laughs>
1: um there was one early in the game Saturday I don't know if the Bruins are on the power play for his 5 on 5 but some guy like kind of right below us like in the balcony but like lower end of the balcony losing his mind yelling shoot in like a situation where there were like seven bodies between the point and the net it was just like it's just like a, like a mass of bodies and i'm like i'm like dude there are literally like seven people in the way like what are you talking about
3: but you know that's just par for the course any game you'll ever go to doesn't matter what fan base so- everybody's got their, like, three beers in, and they're like, shoot, <laughs> um, especially Scott. You so don't sit it. near Scott. Try not to sit near Scott. Um, which The funny thing is Scott tries not to sit near me, but they automatically put both of us next to each other. So um, poor Scott has to deal with me. <laughs> I wanted to, before we get go off the rails like we did last uh, episode, and also because we're getting to the end here, Mason Lori. Um, we talked about McAvoy. Sorry, if you hear, keep hearing that. My watch, I keep hitting it on my table. Um, Mason, Laura's game. I, I wanted to get you guys thoughts on it. You know, I, I thought you were just after. trying
1: to get my attention.
3: Yeah, I, I keep. I I don't know why I keep doing this, but I just keep slamming it onto like a glass countertop
1: Bridget's and. Bridget's like, you know, pay attention,
3: pay it's uh,
1: attention. Probably,
3: it's probably not great for the watch, honestly, guys. Um, it would be the like tenth thing of my technology that I broke this year. Cause I'm already on my third laptop, but, and my phone, I cracked my phone at a wedding. Um, but no, yeah. It's not good. <laughs> no. So anyway, what, what did you guys think of Laura? I, we've kind of been going through his ups and downs uh, and I guess to keep going with that, how, how'd you think he played against Montreal?
2: Kind of, kind of a microcosm of his entire sample size so far. There's times where, you know, he shows his elusiveness and, and skating ability and playmaking ability um, and, and creates offense. And for the most part, defensively, he's fine. And then there's other times where, you, like the Montreal second goal, it's just, it's a net mound scramble. And, you know, it's not, I, look, I've seen not to compare the players, okay, at all. But I've seen Matt Grizzly get out muscled in front before and 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 have you know the opponent score. I've seen it happen to every Bruins defenseman, right? Um, but yeah, on that play, like Lorai just kind of gets lost, loses his man in front. Uh, I forget who it was for Montreal to, to to score. But um, so you know, you don't love to see that. You like to see him, you know, identify a stick or a body and kind of make that that play not happen. I don't know, Scott. I mean, did you see anything in particular from in this game that hasn't kind of been what you've seen? You know, throw out the last what has been eight games.
1: I thought he was getting more involved offensively than he has in maybe, you know, the last couple of games, closer to to what we were seeing, like his first couple. Um, you know, he like the one the like the one spin move he made and then kind of drove low and got to the got the puck to the front, like that stands out, but I thought he was a little more active offensively in general. Um, but you're you're right. Like there was still at least that one really notable hiccup uh defensively. Um I think he had, I think he turned the puck over in a breakout, like his first or second shift of the game, too. Um you know, there weren't a ton of mistakes, but there's still just a couple there where you're like, all right, like there's there's still work to do to to clean things up. Um, I would say it was a good game for him overall, but, you know, certainly not perfect. So I guess small step in the right direction, maybe, um, you know, I still think he's probably going to have to have a really strong week between now and next Saturday. If he's, um, going to force his way into the lineup, even after Grizzly comes back. But, um, yeah, I didn't, I didn't think he, like actively hurt his case on
3: Saturday. And I, I noticed, and this just because it stuck out to me in the post-game pre- press conference with Montgomery, is saying like he's seen Lori improve since he's come up and that he's noticed that he has been able to take the coaching and in-game learn from the mistakes. Like in his sample size here in Boston – That he's been able to to kind of learn through it and grow from playing in the NHL. I know Scott, you were there, so I'm guessing you probably um, had some thoughts about that when he when he mentioned. Because because I bring it up just because we're talking about what's better for the development. And um, coach did mention he you know he thinks he's seen development since he since he came up and and playing in the NHL and in trying to fix those mistakes at this level.
1: Yeah, I mean, obviously like that that needs to happen with a young player. Um so it's it's good that it is. I don't I don't think, you know, I don't think it necessarily means like all right, well then in that case keep him up and let him work through mistakes because I also think he can learn and improve in the AHL too. Like so I think he can do that either place, but yes, if he is going to stick at the NHL he is he obviously has to learn on the fly because he is very far from a finished product. So um yeah, I mean that's that's good, but that's that's what you have to do for any young player.
2: Can I ask you guys one question that just popped into my mind? Um one thing I realized last night, and one thing I realized on opening night, and against the Maple Leafs. Can you guys get on board with Going back to wearing white at home, and here and here's why, here's why, if you're gonna watch the Bruins at home wear the same uniform, you know every every game, might as well watch them wear white, and then have all the visiting teams come in and show show their colors off, as opposed to all the visiting teams wearing white. Like, I I think there's something cool about the away team coming in in a dark sweater whatever their color is is what it is. It just kind of, I feel like it just adds a little bit more personality to to each game out. In Boston. I don't know if it if it's the, the Bruins logo on the ice and 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 the away team wearing dark and the Bruins wearing white just I don't know you got you yeah can you guys get on on that train so
1: my take on this for a while has been I just wish they had more flexibility where you can wear either one at home and like whether you schedule it in advance or it's just kind of what you're feeling at the time. Cause you're, you're on a winning streak or you're on a losing streak and you want to break that or whatever. Like I just wish there was flexibility. I, you know, there's a lot of things. The NBA gets wrong. Fashion wise. Um, I, I think NBA teams have too many different jerseys. Uh I think the courts they're playing on for this in season tournament are an absolute abomination for the most part. Um But one thing the NBA gets right is you see a lot of teams wear white and their, you know, primary color at home. And like it it alternates like if you go to the Celtics, you might see them in white. You might see them in green. I like that. I know some people like it one way or the other for the sake of consistency. Um, I wish there was more room to, to sort of, go back and forth which we're we're seeing this year from the Bruins because their their third jerseys that they're wearing on these Eras nights are um are obviously white so like we are getting to see it but normally there's very very few games not just in Boston but like league wide where the home team wears white
3: Now, here's our impromptu fashion segment that we didn't know was coming. But, Brian, just once again to finish out the episode, what what fashion segment?
2: Well, I couldn't help but notice how, like, I was watching a game on TV, and um, I just couldn't help but think to myself, I feel like Montreal's red, white, and blue jerseys looked so much better in Boston than they do. In Montreal, not so much better. It's the same jerseys. But there's something, like, visually pleasing about watching those red Montreal sweaters on Boston ice and the Bruins wearing white on Boston ice. I just – I've always been of of the home team They're wearing white every game, just the logo changes. It's just kind of monotonous. But for, for the Bruins fans to see all the different colors come into town, I just – you know what I mean? Like the, the the home crowd's gonna see one jersey regardless. So you might as well see the home the home fans are gonna see one jersey regardless from their team, right? So if you're gonna see different different colors coming, you might as well have the away teams come in with different uniforms every time. It just kind of adds personality to the games, I feel like, for the home for the home audience. And that goes around the entire league. Like for for teams to watch the Bruins come into town wearing, you know, their black jerseys and yellow socks, I feel like would be well historically it would be cool um and i think like like watching old footage or old clips of like the montreal Canadiens wearing their white jerseys in the old montreal forum like i just like home teams wearing white and then the visiting team coming in with whatever colors they wear um i have memories of like being in like the late 90s of like going to the garden or the fleet center at the time and seeing like the muddy ducks of anaheim come into town with their with their their awesome uniforms or like the Philadelphia Flyers wearing their orange jerseys. So thanks for having that fashion segment banner ready to go, Bridget. Um but these Yeah, these, always.
3: These, always. That's what I original, made it for.
2: These original six era nights, just it's the Canadians popped on TV last night so much. And I was like, I have to bring this up in the in the moment. Thank you for And by the way, the, the
3: fashion segment, it's it's not an official fashion segment unless Brian brings up the 90s Anaheim Ducks jerseys as well. So <laughs> we cut that in too.
2: <laughs> that is true. That is very true. Honestly, some of the some of the best hockey uniforms out there, those ducks jerseys, and then for college hockey, the University of Maine. Not no offense, Scott, but Maine has some pretty sick jerseys too, because they were playing BU recently. But anyway. Well,
1: b- yeah, b- BU versus Maine gives you like the best jersey matchup you can get in college hockey. So yeah, that that was yeah, but I don't That like was to great the- to watch.
2: I don't like how BU goes to these um these like two stripe uniforms like they're they're traditional jerseys are so awesome like the Red Wings it just says BU on it or whatever I don't know
1: it's, it says Boston on it actually um
2: it, yeah, man get you know <laughs> it
3: right Brian
1: uh I I love I love all BU jerseys I've I've loved a lot of the throwbacks they've used as well in recent years um yeah it I will say like. Th- by far the best jersey matchups the Bruins have had this year have been the two Aaron Knight's games. This one against the Canadians with those red, and the first one was against the Red Wings with their red, which again is like is nice to see in Boston because you know it's probably been a long time since we've seen Detroit wearing red in Boston. Um, well, the yeah, Blackhawks It's just always been white, yeah. Exactly. You got to see the Blackhawks yeah, logo thing opening night, right?
2: Yeah pretty it's pretty cool anyway so um that's my that's my two cents hopefully the nhl either does what scott says and just kind of give flexibility or go back to whites at home um that's it for the fashion segment brought to you by uh do we respond for that no okay i'll find
3: <laughs> we should
1: it's wide it's wide open it's wide open if someone out there wants, <laughs> wants to hop step up to the plate
2: Yes. oh goodness all right um well thanks to me we've gone long now um do you guys have anything before we wrap up Bruins are playing Tampa tomorrow. That's a good one.
1: Uh, I mean, we, we haven't, so we touched on it being errors Knights but we haven't even talked about uh, the pregame ceremony for the big bad Bruins for the 1970 and 1972 cup winners, which just was really cool to see in, in person. It was, you know, I, I didn't see if there was like an official list of everyone who was out there, but it had to have been 15 to 20 guys. It was a lot of them. And, Obviously all the big names or Esposito, Busick, Cheever, Sanderson, Cashman, like all there, Um, you know, and they got to raise their banners for the first time because back in the seventies teams didn't have banner raising ceremonies on opening night of the next season. You just, you showed up for the next season and your banner was up. So that was pretty cool. And we got to talk to a couple of the guys, we got to talk to uh, Dallas green and Wayne Cashman between periods and, they said, like, it, it was special for them. Like, it brought back a lot of memories when they were standing there um lifting those banners up. So that was cool. That was... Cam Neely talked to us, too, and said, like, it was an idea that someone... Someone, like, in the Bruins marketing department realized that, like, that team, they didn't do that back then and thought, you know, that might be a cool idea for this era's night, and and it was. Like, that was that was a really cool way to, to celebrate those teams.
3: Here's a fashion question for you. Jerry Cheever's, um, mask. Is that the most iconic mask in hockey?
1: Yes. And Lena Salmark had a helmet that replicated it. Unfortunately it wasn't his turn in the rotation. So we didn't actually get to see it much in the game and obviously doesn't really wear it on the bench. So, um, that was a little bit of a bummer, but that, that, looks pretty sick all mark having the uh the stitches um in
3: a, in i a new assume mask. potentially a different eras night if he is in the net he would wear that i mean i don't think it's just for show i assume he'll wear that at some point i don't
1: know i mean but you know that's really i mean i guess technically it could tie to the next era because the next era is the the lunch pale ac of like late 70s early 80s so achievers was on some of those teams as well like 77-78 teams so you know maybe maybe there's still an opportunity there for the next one
3: otherwise it's just a pretty little lo- a pretty little prop <laughs> but yeah I got I, I I, was like oh that's easily the most iconic goalie helmet that there ever was and there's just that good story behind it too obviously so um it was kind of a funny idea and it looked like it just, it also looked great. Um, it looked intense. So anyway, that's my, that's my fashion thought. You're welcome. I'm, I don't usually have many, but <laughs> um. no,
2: that's a great fashion segment. Mm-hmm. Um, all right. Well, Bridget and Scott, I think we've probably touched on everything for this episode. The Bruins are playing the lightning on Monday and we'll be having one more episode prior to Thanksgiving uh, that will drop Tuesday or Wednesday. Uh, so if you guys are good, uh, until then, thank you all for listening and we'll talk to you very soon.